Welcome. Welcome, lovely listeners, to another episode of the Soccer Capital Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Turner, and with me in our Southern Illinois studios is our producer, Mason. How are you doing today, Mason? Doing good. Not under four inches of snow and feeling like I'm being crushed, so that's nice. That's good. That's good. And joining us from somewhere in the St. Louis metropolitan area is a man who will not be suffering from hypothermia halfway through today's show, Sean Campbell. How are you doing today, Sean? Oh, I'm doing just all right. I found the right cave, and now I've got my four and a half pounds of cheese that the government owes me. Gotta be eating that government cheese, you know. Well, we're glad you're with us, ladies and gentlemen. We got a big show. We got a lot of uh, St. Louis City news, or St. Louis City 2 news, to be more precise. And while you're listening, just go ahead and uh, jump up and uh, hit that subscribe button on your podcaster of choice if you're not already. And please rate and review. It really helps the show. And uh, we teased it, so let's get into it. With St. Louis City 2, that is the MLS Next Pro Lower Division League team that will be starting play in about a month from now, we suppose. Uh, Maybe a month and a half. We still don't have a schedule. Uh, but St. Louis City 2 is the official name. We've been calling them City 2, probably will continue to call them City 2. Uh, so they actually did put out a roster, which is good because they've been training for a couple of weeks. Uh, and they also re- uh, released the crest, which I thought was quite nice, actually. If you haven't seen it, think of the, uh, the official one for St. Louis City SC. Only uh, they replaced the uh, arches and the rivers with the numeral two centered on the shield, but you still have the St. Louis city on the side. So it turned out very well. I was, it fit with my uh, graphic artist sensibilities. Yeah. It's a sharp little crest. It's a, it's a nice little uh, riff on the, the official first team crest. Yeah. I definitely like the fact that it did. They didn't just slap a two on the side after where it says city. And then keep the regular logo because that just looks forced. They actually made it look distinct, and that was a nice touch. Or, mm. or two eyes. Yeah. Getting all Roman numeral-ish. Which is that word? Anyway, the roster's out, and it's a development league. The average age of the roster that was released is 19 years and 11 months. Kind of what you'd expect. It's a mix of players with uh, professional experience already. Those that don't qualify for amateur status in MLS Next Pro, so they'll be the professionals now. And uh, then the amateurs that are brought in, a lot of uh, academy kids, a lot of names you'll recognize. Start off with the uh, uh, the professional players, the ones that already have professional experience. And one's already been announced, it's Josh Yarrow, defender. Uh, 2016, he was, I believe, the second overall Selection in the Super Draft to the Philadelphia Union has played in MLS and USL Championship lately of the San Diego Loyal, coached by Donovan, uh, Landon Donovan. Uh, He signed for the MLS team, but he will be participating in the LVL for this season, of course, to keep him sharp and keep him playing. So he has some veteran leadership, what I think is going to be a very young. expansions first season for St. Louis City. Also, we have uh, Juan Cousin, a midfielder from down here in our neck of the woods in Carbondale, where I went to college. Uh, he has was with uh, St. Louis Scott Gallagher, has been with uh, Sporting Kansas City 2, and uh, lately of Rio Grande Valley. 
in USL, so he has a lot of experience. A defender, Ezra Armstrong, comes over from the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. And Akil Watts, defender, comes from Louisville City to join the academy uh, with St. Louis City. Also, we have a young one, uh, 19-year-old uh, Diela Armstrong. He's a forward. He's been playing with AFC 615 of the USPL, a uh, fourth division league that I'm not familiar with, nor the team. Did find out the team is in Hendersonville, Tennessee. So we'll see how that goes. And a ripe one for development, actually. Now, there's other pros on here that had, do not have previous professional experience, but they're over 21, or they don't qualify to be amateurs under the rules of MLS Next. One of them's a local St. Louis kid. The only goalkeeper on the roster at this time is Michael Creek, went to uh, Missouri State, as did uh, Kyle Hebert, a defender uh, Canadian out of Missouri State as well. Plucked a few from Missouri State on this roster. Uh, Brazilians on the team. Applied his trade in college with the uh, Virginia Commonwealth at Cilio Pompo. He's a midfielder. Max Schneider from Cologne in Germany. Uh, went to Marshall University. Also was in the uh, Bayern Leverkusen Academy. He's a midfielder. We got Josh Doline, uh, a Londoner. Was in the Manchester United Academy and uh, also played at Missouri State. Sergio Rivas, Mexican-born from Minnesota. He's from Wash U. And he's a midfielder. A lot of midfielders on this roster. And uh, A.J. Palazzo, a midfielder out of St. Louis, went to SLU. And those are the uh, newly signed professional contracts. Also with this, there are certain amateurs, and this has made up a lot of uh, kids from the St. Louis City Academy this, past, uh, this season. One that is not is Jack Wagoner. He's a midfielder with St. Louis Scott Gallagher. He's decided he's going to be going in college to Indiana University. Big program there. Under the rules of MLS Next Pro, uh, to qualify for an amateur status, you had to fit, never played a college game, never been a professional in any way, shape, or form, signed a contract or anything, uh, have to be under 21, and uh, have some connection to the MLS Academy. He's been training with the MLS Academy. St. Louis City's new, I assume paperwork was filed, making him a documented, you know, associate of the academy. I assume this is all cleared. Yeah, I know that there were open tryouts, so may have been part of that, and that's how he got involved. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that fits in the rules. Maybe we'll get clarification for someday. St. Louis City's been doing everything right, and this is delayed, so I have to assume everything's been vetted on that. And uh, Wagoner's a midfielder, highly rated, going to a great program in Indiana. Uh, good one to have on the team, training with him this year. Aaron Hurd, the star that came in for the first year of the academy, he'll be here as a midfielder. Uh, Nathan Ferguson, a forward. Anthony Falpel, forward. Both had great uh, first half seasons with the uh, academy. Josh Mayer, uh, a defender, really good player. Miguel Perez in the midfield, Fritz Volman, a defender, and Carson and Riley Gibbs. Yes, they are brothers. The brothers Gibb. Shall we call them the Bee Gees? <laughs> uh, let's not. I don't think we should do that. <laughs> we might get demonetized. <laughs> that's that's impossible. 
But uh, Carson's a forward. Riley's a midfielder. Uh, there's nine amateurs on this roster, uh, five with previous professional experience and seven new pros on this roster. Uh, we are expecting more signings. There have been rumors that there was already more in training than what was released. What that means, don't know. Find out more as it goes forward. Uh, there's only one goalkeeper on this roster. Going to need another. Uh, one name that's not listed here, but of course he isn't, is uh, Selmir Pedro, the Bosnian signing, the first signing for St. Louis City SC. Uh, the question is, will he be going to City 2? He's not going to join until the end of the season for Sarajevo in the Bosnian League, and that he won't be joining until July. Will they have him come in? He'll be coming off a full season. Will he come in and train, get some work, play a little games, keep him sharp, because otherwise he'd have a very long offseason? Uh, I imagine that. They could loan him out. Don't know what the rules are on that, but uh, USL or some other team to get uh, more high-level competition, perhaps. But uh, this is MLS Academies for the most parts other than Rochester. You're expecting at least some highly talented youngsters with a view on the first team in the future. Maybe that's enough to keep him sharp without wearing him out. Because one thing I think there is about MLS Next Pro that MLS started this is it gives the teams and the MLS franchises control over what happens with these players. And this is a perfect example. If he did go out on loan to USL or uh, they have no control over how many minutes they play and they're looking to win. And if he's one of the better players, they're going to wear him out. Maybe leave him susceptible to soft muscle injuries or something like that with all the game time he'd be doing. Plus he'd be really in need of rest before he starts the start of the, the first season for St. Louis city. So I think it's also a good idea that uh, Pedro and other signings that come in do get a chance to at least train with the uh, city too. Gives them a chance to uh, get to know their teammates, get to know the system and how it plays, get that uh, automation in their physical actions and their decision-making that fits in this system that's so important in this style of football. Pedro was announced as the first real signing for the first team. Yarrow, it's rumored that he signed for the first team as well. We are expecting more signings. Pedro was not necessarily the supposed to be the first signing. He just got his contract done first. They were uh, Lutz did say that they were talking to a lot of other people to sign. His just happened to get done first, so they announced it. Uh, so we'll have to see what's going to happen. Also, with this team, one thing he'll do, I imagine Bradley Carnell will be there in training, maybe seeing the games. Uh, helping to implement working with John Hackworth, who will be the interim coach at the beginning, director of coaching, make sure everything is seamless in the verticality of uh, uh, development that they want throughout the academy, lower division league, and the first team. Any thoughts on uh, this roster, guys? Um, I mean, one name that really jumped out to me was Aaron Hurd. I really liked what I saw from him in um, the academy plays, uh, the academy games that we saw. Um, so looking forward to see what uh, him and the other uh, the other kids that have come up from the academy, what they can do in this like next tier of competition. Um, and I like your idea that um, 
that uh, players that we sign uh, leading into the the first season that they get playing time with City too. Um, you know, like you said, it's a lot of just reiterating. You know, keep them fresh, keep them under control, things like that. Um, I guess we're kind of assuming that MLS next pro seasons are going to overlap with the MLS season because it's going to depend on timing. They might those might be contracted seasons. Who knows? Maybe they won't have that opportunity because we don't know anything about what's coming up for the actual full MLS Next Pro schedule. They did say it's going to run from March through August, I believe. Okay. Usually, you know, these development leagues run at the same time. Uh, there's usually not a lot of overlap between them and the first team. This is the next step up. A lot of these clubs also have U18s or even U19 teams in their academy. Heard no word that St. Louis City is going to do that. They've talked about going to U15s and perhaps U14s, but I think they're going to use this as the uh, above U17 in the academy. A few of these names, it's going to really going to keep an eye on uh, is uh, Aaron Hurd, uh, but also uh, Nathan Ferguson and Josh Mayer are a couple other ones that come immediately to mind that they may find themselves with a real pathway getting on that first team. At some point in the season, will we find out they go ahead and sign a pro contract? Uh, it's possible. Homegrown, maybe after the season. I just don't know how that's going to work in MLS Next Pro, but there's a very real possibility if they're playing very well, they could be offered pro contracts. Don't know if this early they'd be offered actually a first team contract, though they could get a homegrown if they really think they're going to be able to make it uh, right away. And that might be in the works with thought processes with a lot of these as well. Uh, a lot of these kids are from the academy. Uh, don't be surprised if they come out and announce that some of these get signed homegrown contracts uh, even before the MLS Next Pro season is over. You have any thoughts, Sean? Well, the one thought that comes to my mind isn't necessarily about player names uh, I'm just looking at the positioning of all these, all these players that they've got on the roster, and there's only one goalkeeper. We've only got four defenders on list, and I can't help but think, without getting too bogged down into um, into formation theory, uh, you know, we know we're gonna be wanting to play a little bit more of that energy drink soccer. Are we gonna play a three-five-two potentially? But that might be too different from what the Academy plays, but I also haven't seen a formation chart for them. But we might see some midfielders playing wing back instead of actually playing in the midfield. I could be completely wrong, but I just see a a lot of midfielders that we are over. We have a plethora of midfielders is the big thing. A glut was the word that I was thinking of, but yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I was trying to think of it and I was trying to ramble my way into it. You got there before I did. Yeah, and uh, also keep in mind, have to have six professionals on the field at any given time during all the matches in the league. And right now they've got, what, 12 uh, true professional players that they announced on this roster. That's a heavy workload. Uh, you know, you got defenders. There's six, if you count the academy kids, that are listed as defenders. How many of them are center backs? How many are, you know, halfbacks? There's going to be a lot of fluidity in positions. Could be why you see a lot of midfielders. Uh, probably also, since it's a developmental league, 
maybe some of these midfielders are going to be pushed back uh, to the uh, the halfback roles, the ones that are attacking halfbacks in the modern, you know, the fullback role coming up uh, of the back on this. I expect that. There's probably going to be some positional changes. That's part of development as well. Often happens. But uh, I'm really expecting to see more signings going forward as well. And uh, Mason, they also, uh, today, uh, we're recording on Tuesday afternoon as we usually do, uh, they released uh, the preseason schedule for City 2. We finally know what's going on, mostly. What have you got for us? Well, we uh, we got the preseason schedule, came out earlier on recording day. Uh, actually, it came out during the first <laughs> the first preseason game for City 2, um, <laughs> which was uh, uh, at Philadelphia Union 2 in Tampa, which I believe the scoreline for that was 2-0 Philadelphia, wasn't it? Yes, that's what I saw. I saw it on Twitter. Yeah. Um, but then the next game will be tomorrow for you listening to it um, on the 11th. Uh, that's at FC Cincinnati, also in Tampa. Um, and then the first home game, which will be at Cree of Core, is uh, versus Memphis 901. And that'll be on February 19th. Uh, we also have a confirmation for that game versus Louisville City. But last time I looked at the schedule, which was shortly before we started recording, uh, the venue on that is still uh, to be determined. But um, we've got a couple of games um, that are quote unquote away games at Merrillville and SLU, which will be at those home stadiums, um, but still in St. Louis. And um, all we did get confirmation all of the home games for City 2 will be free and open to the public, a lot like the Academy games. Very good. Kind of got my eye on that uh, Louisville City FC game. Uh, a lot of old uh, St. Louis FC uh, fans are going to be looking forward to that. Still a practice game, preseason game, but, uh, you know, Louisville City's a high-performing club in the USL Championship. It's a good test. I think that's about as close as we're going to get to another iteration of the King's Cup, so I'm looking forward to it. So, uh, good scheduling crew there. and. Uh, that's what we've got so far. Not a lot coming on uh, St. Louis uh, City SC news this week. Going to be a little lag, I think. Uh, coming up, we've got MLS Next, uh, the restart of the Academy, and MLS Next Pro uh, all happening there. So their hands are probably going to be full up until mid-March with that, unless we get some information that's uh, not on-the-field-related like advertisers, things like that that come in, sponsors. Or maybe some more of those contracts that were in the works get finalized. Yeah, that would be the kind of news that we would expect coming in. So, exciting. things. This really shows that St. Louis City, it, it's getting closer and closer, and it's a real thing. And uh, this is probably very unprecedented that a club gets to start at this level of competition with the academy LDL training, not just the academies, but also lower division leagues against other MLS squads head-to-head a full season before they actually start. It really gives St. Louis City a jump start on what they're going to do going forward and a real knowing of 
if they have anybody in-house that they can really bring along uh, to help soften the blow building that roster at the beginning of the first season, which is always tough. And they get a lot of extra, you know, allocation money. They got their monies to spend. DP contracts still to come. Pedro was not anywhere near that. Uh, the U-22 initiative that they can splash cash. But anytime you can bring in anybody that you've grown up, the homegrown players out of the academy or the lower division leagues, I don't know if that counts for homegrown. Have to look into that. Uh, that really helps with the, you know your budgeting and filling out that roster to start that first season. And they get to work with each other, which is a big, big thing. If they do come up to the first team, they'll have that time to train together. Because usually an expansion team, they just got a bunch of players and they throw them together and train for a month and a half. And there you go, boys. Go beat them. Yeah. Hopefully it's a little, using this extra time, we've got to build a little stronger first season. Mm-hmm. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, we've got a, we've got a season of MLS Next Pro for at least some of these guys to build up some chemistry with one another that hopefully will carry over to the first team. Now I think that's all we've got on this. And uh, next thing we've got, let's talk a little bit about the U.S. men's national team. Well, spoiler alert for anybody who missed it, the U.S. did win their final home match of this past qualifying window. 3-0 win versus Honduras. Played in St. Paul, Minnesota in January. Uh, apparently a wise choice for U.S. soccer as it worked absolutely beautifully for the U.S. men's national team in what really was a must-win home game as Honduras was absolutely toothless. It wasn't without some drama, and it all started even before the game when the starting lineups were announced. What did you think of the starting lineup, Sean? Well, looking at the starting lineup, there were a couple of big names that we missed out. And, uh, you know, we didn't have Pulisic starting. We didn't have Dest start. There was no Adams, no Musa. So we didn't have the MMA together. Uh, Chris Richards missed out. And, you know, so in in the end, we ended up starting Pepe, Wea, and Morris across the front. Acosta, McKinney, and De La Torre in the middle. And then Zimmerman, both Robs, Reggie Cannon. And then Matt Turner in the back, and he had controversy of his own. Um, y'all, I know y'all have seen those little waist pouches that the quarterbacks have for their hands when they're not throwing the that, the hand egg around. Yeah, Matt Turner had one of those on, and uh, ref stops the game and makes him take it off. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, apparently they got it from the Minnesota Vikings, and uh. Honduras was offered a lot of gear as well by U.S. soccer to help them out. All this had supposedly been all cleared through CONCACAF that this equipment was okay. And I guess the ref, he didn't get the word or they didn't give him a muff. So take it off, Matt. (laughs) If I don't get one, you don't get one. They let him wear what looked like a quilt through most of the game. He looked like Nanook of the North back there. Uh, what was the game time temperature? Four degrees? Something like that. Yeah. Had to work great for Honduras. Yeah. <laughs> Bless their little pee-picking hearts. I don't have a lot of sympathy after watching all, you know, four or five qualifying windows where even though they have lights in San Pedro Sula in July, they would schedule the game at two o'clock in the afternoon 
with 95 degree air temperature, humidity, and uh, heat index of 130, which is perhaps even more deadly than what they were facing here in St. Paul. That's what you get, Honduras. You got lights, turn them on, play those games at night. I know the old uh, U- U.S. men's national team uh, players, they had no sympathy for Honduras because they had to live through that heat and the heat exhaustion and everything went with it in Central America and previous qualifiers. They didn't have a lot of sympathy for Honduras suffering in this game. You know what I think is really ridiculous, though? <laughs> there are people coming out after this game that are dogging on the U.S. saying the U.S. shouldn't have to play games like this because, you know, we're just the top team in CONCACAF. We shouldn't have to schedule games in sub-zero temperatures. Like, do you even know what CONCACAF is about, bro? Not only that, there's no style points in World Cup qualifying. It's all results. You use any edge you can get to get in the tournament. As we found out in 2018... And as Graham Zuzi had to save Mexico from finding out in 2014. So you just got to get in the tournament. It's not easy. But this game was, at least for the U.S. Oh, yeah. It's not hard to win a game when you come out and score in the first 10 minutes. Oh, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Kellen Acosta. It was the good Kellen, not the bad Kellen. You never know what you're going to get. It's like a roulette wheel of a soccer player. Uh, Kellen Acosta's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. (laughs) But in this one, man, his set-piece deliveries were chef kiss. And this one particularly, a little in-swinger right on the head of Weston McKinney. McKinney described himself as having no problem heading the ball in cold weather because he's got such a big head. And he big-headed this one right in the back of the net. Yeah, punched in that punched in that cheap code, activated DK mode, and then yeah, great service from Acosta, uh, perfect perfect finish from McKinney, um, and yeah, we finally have a set piece goal. Uh, it was nothing but set pieces this game after really floundering on them the whole rest of World Cup qualifying. It feels like, and plus we came out after them. New Honduras was suffering in the cold, and they didn't let up. They came out, got the early goal. Pressure was on. Pressure was on Honduras this entire game. They really didn't look up for it. They're out. They're not very good. It was good for a fan to watch. I don't know how it looked for a neutral, but it looked pretty good for a U.S. fan. There was another set-piece goal, as Mason referenced, uh, late in the half. And again... Kellen Acosta delivering a nice set piece right into the mixer in front. It somehow hits the ground. Walker Zimmerman deadens it, puts it right at his feet, uh, adults a defender off of him, and uh, takes his time and slides to the back of the net. Nice, cool, composed in front of the net, if not really dainty or ballet-like, uh, ballet-like with his footwork. He got the job done. And uh, so it was 2-0 going into the break. And that's not the whole story. There was chances, opportunities. Weya had a couple of shots. There was a lot of uh, the U.S. players taking shots when they probably should have squared it up for another tap-in. You know, they're young. Still looking for hero balls. They'll learn. But uh, very effective. Certainly like seeing the U.S. be hungry 
in the first half, which we have not seen previously very much. And that's something we got from Luca Della Torre. Very aggressive, taking the ball and driving into the space. Something we talked about last week in the lead-up this game we wanted to see. What did you think of his performance, Sean? Um, I just have I just have one thing to say about De La Torre. I have here in my notes, and I quote, De La Torre has wheels, with I think that's eight E's in wheels. <laughs> uh, yes, no, kid's fast, he's good on the ball, he's good on the dribble, and he just, he can control it at that pace, dribbling at guys, moving into the space, laying the ball off, and it's it's something that our, I think our midfield has really lacked, especially this last window or two. Um, so it's refreshing to see that for sure. It wasn't perfect. Uh, kind of shaky the first 15, 20 minutes. Uh, one thing I did notice that he does that uh, has been noticed from some of the other ones breaking into this space, he checks his shoulder, see if there's someone to pass to, sees the run coming for a layoff. That's good to see. Uh, though a lot of times is, and this also happens with his uh, club, his uh, final ball, once he pushes it up the field, isn't as good as it can be. But again, like the rest of the team, he's so young. I mean, these guys, these really are developing players. That can even go for Pulisic. He's still a developing player. But uh, yeah, he was good. Honduras was leaving a lot of space for him to run through. And... Uh, doing a lot of uh, bullfighting sort of defense, like waving a, a red flag in their way instead of putting in a tackle. But uh, he did look good. It was good to see him in the pool, and it's somebody that could come in and uh, give depth to the team, that's for sure. A lot of people say he's a must-start. I didn't see that. I didn't see that at all. But there sure is a lot of fanboys for du Luca De La Torre out there on Twitter. Reminds me a little bit of, uh, was it James Sands during um, one of the other cups uh, during the summer who really like came in and energized a team that had been lackluster before. And so a lot of clamoring to start when don't necessarily need that energy every game all the time because you'll run out of that too, but a nice shot in the arm. Yeah. There's a lot of people out there with recency bias. Uh perhaps don't have a long history of following World Cup qualifiers, or they're just out trying to make a hot take. My money's on the ladder there. A lot of people just like <laughs> making hot takes because it gets them talked about, it gets them likes, it gets them reblogs, and as we've learned, any interaction, even if it's hate interaction, is good interaction, <laughs> on the internet at least. <laughs> I've, I've been known to be a hot take artist myself, so... No, no, Mason, <laughs> say it ain't so. <laughs> well, just generally not usually about soccer. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that's still you hot take about sports. Never. <laughs> what well, was it a hot take is what happened at halftime for the Honduran team. Uh, Their goalkeeper, Luis Lopez and forward, former MLS star uh, Romel Quito, Quito were off. They were all, did not come out in the second half. They were being treated for hypothermia, is what their coach says. Didn't have any follow-ups from that. Didn't seem to be any repercussions. Uh, Lopez seemed to have had it worse, but he started his next club game without a problem. So, I'm sure they were suffering 
was it true hypothermia or were they just tired of playing? <laughs> yep, I'd say I'd, I'd be probably borderline hypothermia and didn't want to play if it was me, that's for sure. Yeah, and also I imagine that there was probably a lot of overreaction to this when like hypothermia is just like, well, yeah, he's he's really cold. <laughs> and second half comes out pretty much the same. Honduras playing even less defense. You know, they checked out like they did the uh, second half when they had the lead at home earlier in the uh, qualifying cycle. Uh, this was even worse. But there was a cool thing uh, that happened with the uh, second half subs, wasn't there, Sean? Um, Yes, yes, for sure. I have in my notes here, and I quote, Super Sub is at it again. Yes. But pretty much, yeah, he, he got it and won there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, I, I, I also forgot. Before I, I have, I, before I have that note, I have when Pulisic comes on, I said, Pulisic subs on. Hashtag release the Kraken. And then my next note is super sub at it again. And in case you don't know how to read between the lines there, kiddos, that means Pulisic scores again from the bench. And he came on the 65th minute and three for uh, Jordan Morris, who was lively but didn't look sharp, and most of the play was on the other side of the field away from him. Uh, but three minutes later, off another Kellen Acosta set piece, uh, ball falls in the box. Pulisic jumps on it without thinking and shoots the ball and scores with goal. What we hadn't seen when he started the first two games of this cycle, because he was really kind of detrimental to the team in El Salvador, better but not that effective against Canada. Looks like he's thinking too much out there. This time, it was just a reaction. You know, he sees the play, he sees the movements, he reacts to the ball, and he has the quality to finish it in that spot. That's when he plays his best when he's playing like that. Reminds Good moment. Me, yeah, it reminds me of some of the play that we saw out of the rest of the group when he was out injured and there wasn't so much hero ball and just trying to feed Pulisic who then gets smothered. It was a lot more cohesive team play. It's just a shame he didn't have the man in the mirror t-shirt on <laughs> like when he was a sub against Mexico. Yeah. It would have been perfect, especially if he gotten that photo with Burhalter with the fans during that break in the action. That left Twitter all aflame. Me, I didn't care. Uh, pretty much after that, it was just the U.S. just trying to get a fourth goal. Poor Christian Roldan, snake bitten, skies one shot just over the bar, and another one he gets right in the box. Nice strike, and the keeper saves it. So he still doesn't have a goal for the USMNT, but it wasn't for lack of trying in this game. Uh, there was quite a few of those shots at the end of the game that uh, just somehow hit somebody, save, hit, just got past the bar. The U.S. was trying, just couldn't score. Take a look at uh, some of the players that we saw in this game. I thought uh, Weston McKinney was superb. Uh, not just the header, just his overall play. What did you guys think? As far as the midfield as a whole goes, they were all three just absolutely fantastic. Loved their play. Um, it, they, they were good on the ball. They made they, I mean, no one's perfect in passing, but all three of them did what they do well, and we got the good Acosta for once, which is always nice to see. Um, but this game was controlled by the midfield, and we saw a lot, you know, a lot of forward passing. 
the uh, possession stats for this game. 73% of possession was for the USMNT. That shows you how much of the ball we are holding on to, moving it around, getting into space after you were, you know, when you're not on the ball. The midfield did fantastic. The service was a little bit better, still needs to be better than it was, than it is. But, you know, we're getting there. We're seeing the progress. And um, I'll, I'll, I'll save this. I'll save that next comment that I was going to say for the next portion of the conversation. But I like where this team's going. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of a lot of development in the players themselves. And it looks like they're finally dialing things in at the right time. Um, and I've said it before, I've seen similarities to other teams that, you know, looked down and out and all of a sudden they come out of nowhere and win stuff. So we'll see how it goes from there. You know, we learned some things in this window. Uh, even when Gio Reyna comes back and Pulisic starts, you need Timothy Weya out there. Wasn't his best game. He's still lively trying to make things happen. Uh, when Walker Zimmerman and Miles Robinson are two in the back, nobody scores against the U.S., uh, I think they had a penalty kick uh, uh, off the two of them. Is the only goal that's been scored when they're on the field together. Zimmerman's just a man out there. Uh, he's become the number one center back, and that's happened just here in the last half of this uh, cycle. Absolutely deserved. Absolutely yep. deserved for Zimmerman, by the way. Absolutely deserved. He's been fantastic. Matter of fact, if he they didn't hold him out in the Canada game, he might read that situation with that ball and perhaps have changed that play. He's just been showing that kind of alertness even during the offseason uh, to the fact of where you look now. Who would have thought this at the beginning? That game might have been a loss and not a draw because Walker Zimmerman didn't play. And that's what it's kind of come down to. And, uh, yeah, he's not terrible in distribution he's not john brooks but he's got so much more to his game i believe than brooks does and was the u.s really that good in this game was honduras that bad or was it a little bit of both yeah i i definitely think it was a little bit of honduras kind of said you know what we're out of this more or less because i don't think at the time they were mathematically eliminated but they're basically eliminated um so I, I don't think they were really giving it their all. Uh, I I think they were just out there to finish out the window. Um, the U.S. came out hungry. Do I think if Honduras was actually within a you know spitting distance of a spot to qualify, would that would this game have changed? Result? No. Score? Maybe it might have ended up being only one nil instead of three nil. But I I. I just think that Honduras didn't put in a lot of effort. U.S. put in a lot of effort, and it ended up the way it did. But it was going to end up that way anyway, in the end. Yeah, I think you got it about right. I think that we still would be looking at a W here. But yeah, the Honduras was kind of checked out. And um, the U.S. did look sharp, but that's that's more reflected in the inflated scoreline than a result. Yeah, and the spaces that Honduras, they stuck in that 4-4-2, lot of holes in that. Uh, but overall, through this whole window, U.S. played a lot better soccer. Uh, even in the loss against Canada, especially between the boxes, they were very good. They just, uh, the wings couldn't get the ball into the box at all. Uh, kept kicking into the legs, and of course, Canada 
is the best team in CONCACAF. That's been proven. They had a nine-point window with two games on the road this past one. Uh, finishing needs improvement as well, we kind of saw in this window. Uh, we had all three strikers get a start that were on this. Ferreira against El Salvador. Uh, Zardes, poor guy, against Canada, where nobody could even get the ball <laughs> into the box. And uh, and then Pepe here against Honduras. Uh, what's your breakdown? Who do you think was the best one to play that role uh, in this window? I mean, it it can't be Zardes because like he never got any service. He's it he's kind of taken out of the inqu- equation for no fault of his own, unfortunately. And then I don't know, Ferreira put in more effort, I think, than Pepe. Um, at least when it comes to being a striker, Pepe was a little bit more effective in like uh distribution and possession. But did he even have a shot? Uh, I think he skied one. He had a couple of chances. He had a couple of chances. I've got notes on that. I thought Ferreira did the best job. I thought he actually was better uh, with the possession. Of course, he also plays more of a, uh, won't say false nine, but he plays off of a striker in front of him. So he's got that in his toolbox, more of a advanced midfielder or something like that than an out-and-out striker. Though during his development, he was thought of as having great in front of the goal skills. He didn't really show that against El Salvador when he had one right in front of the box uh, and skied it over the net. It was tougher than it looks because the ball was kind of high and he tried to get his foot over it and didn't. Uh, You know, if it's Giassi Zardes, maybe he puts it in off his package instead of trying to do it with his foot. He was right in front of the goal. But other than that, I thought he had a better performance. Uh, did more movement and moved players around uh, in the box. Zardes didn't do that very good against Canada, but it's really hard to make that comparison because Canada was extremely disciplined once they got the lead in what they were going to do. You weren't going to pull them out of shape too much, and then if you're, and then out on the wings, they're blocking every cross that everybody's putting in, so the ball's never in there. There's not a lot you can do. Uh, the team just needs to learn how to break down extremely disciplined teams that play like that. Chances are they won't do it before Qatar. So let's see what happens in the uh, in the uh, draw there. They're just, they don't have the nous. They just don't have the experience of how to make that work. Berhalter can draw up everything, but the players still got to keep moving and do it in concert with each other and be aware and how to break that down. Before we move on on the striker com on the striker, you know, fight that we've got going on here, we've seen all three. We've seen the three guys this window, and none of them really could be faulted for playing poorly outside of final touches. It, you know, ball coming into them and they just put it off on you know outside of the frame or it goes right to the goalie, um, because service is still trying to get there. Um, we we can't like you said we can't really we just can't seem to get a ball in onto them, um, so we can't really fault them on that. But it is getting better. We are seeing things finally come in, and we are seeing chances being put towards the net, not necessarily on frame, but they're still looking better, and things are moving forward. 
but I honestly can't pick out of any of these three to see who needs who should be the number one starter, but I can't fault them either. Yeah. Just because we're still developing. And if it comes down to finishing, Jordan P. Fox probably the best one in the pool, but he's really, I guess, kind of limited in what Burhalter wants to do with his positional play system. So, and how do you judge in the Austrian league? Or Swiss league, isn't it? Excuse me. One thing we do know after this window, Canada has mentioned it early, Canada's best team. Got a lot of talent, play together as a team, and they got a little mix of veteran leadership that keeps everybody going and keeps them up and keeps them in line and keeps them focused on what they're doing. We don't have that in the U.S. men's national team because we lost a generation. You've got players that have, uh, have more experience, but they're not team leaders on this team. They're role players, more to speak. Uh, Paul Ariola, Kellen Acosta, you know, these Christian Roldan, these are the ones with more experience, but they're not really the leaders out there on the field. We've done a lot of whining about the U.S. men's national team, but their struggles are not nearly as bad as what Mexico's been going through right now. They're sitting third in the table. They got themselves a little breathing distance because they got a dodgy late penalty at home in the Azteca Stadium against Panama and 1-0. Helped everybody get a little breathing room at the top. Uh, but there haven't been lights out in Azteca. Uh, they haven't been playing very well. They're having a lot of trouble scoring goals too. Everybody in CONCACAF is having some trouble scoring goals, except Canada, it seems. And uh, we'll see if they get it together, because U.S. M&T is playing better now. And that next game in March is in the Azteca against Mexico. Get a point there. Get three points at home against Panama. That pretty much wraps it up. Because you don't want to have to get a point at Costa Rica in the last game. Because the U.S. history at Costa Rica is terrible. It's horrible. It is worse than playing at the Azteca in Mexico City. And you kind of need that point, too. Because beating Panama, despite the point difference, doesn't mean it seals the deal. Because like Secretariat, well, not like Secretariat, it is out in front. Like a racehorse, Costa Rica is flying down the backstretch with a charge. And they're in this, and they have to play Canada in this next window, but Canada's really got it wrapped up. Are they really going to compete? Then you got the U.S. going to Costa Rica. It's not done yet, but the chances of the U.S. getting at least the playoff against the Oceana team, and that will be played in Qatar, uh, are extremely high that the U.S. is going to go. So U.S. is sitting good to get a chance. Of course, in 2014, they were sitting excellent to get a chance. And a whole cacophony of things, you know, all, every domino had to fall that had been set up, and they all did. But it started with the U.S. M&T not taking care of their own business. Win at home at Panama, trying to get a point at Mexico or Costa Rica, uh, I'll take the chances with that. But you got to win that game at home against Panama. Any other thoughts on the national team, guys? Uh, I'm going to I'm going to now put out my hot take here. Um 
this upcoming window, we're going to get seven points. Bold. That, that's right. We're getting points in Costa Rica. Not a point. Points. I think we draw an Azteca, we beat Panama, and then we win in Costa Rica. And the U.S. has never, ever won in World Cup qualifying in Costa Rica. Yeah, that would be a big reversal hot of fortunes take. there. <laughs> That's a hot, hot take. take. But Canada beats Costa Rica, U.S. beats Panama to dead rubber. Then it could happen. U.S. better get better at getting the ball in the box and having somebody finish. But Gio Reyna should be back. What a difference that could make. What a difference that could do to free up Christian Pulisic and uh, playing a little freer and not thinking so much or trying to do too much, which I think is what's happening. He's trying too hard. And he's really mucking up the movements of the play of the other players at times. So that's a big deal. Yeah. I definitely saw that um, couple of games, not last game, but I think it was the Canada game. It may have been, it was this window, I know for sure. Um, In one of my game notes, I had said it looks like Pulisic's trying to show these players where they need to go off the ball because he's trying to go for a ball and then literally just taps it to the guy, you know, the other teammate as he runs in a little late. And then Pulisic has to run out to where he needs to be and he's behind the, you know, He's showing them where they need to be. It's almost like he's taking that initiative, but, you know, also to detriment of the team as a whole because he's doing it during an actual game, not in a scrimmage. And not only that, they're trying to get width, and he's coming centrally and mucking up the central. That's what happened against El Salvador. He was the one really, everybody, you know, they hadn't played a lot together. You kind of need to know where somebody is if you're going to make those passes and break open a defense. And if somebody's where they're, you're not expecting them to be. That kind of breaks up the spacing. It kind of clogs up the middle. It's an issue. See if Gio Reyna, just his presence on the field, how that works. And I think that's about it for this week's show. Uh, Next couple of weeks, folks, we're going to uh, look at all of the MLS teams for before the season actually starts. Uh, each day we're going to break or each episode leading up to the start of the season. We'll break down each conference and give you an up on that and keep you up to date with any news from St. Louis city that comes out. Anything else guys looking forward to uh, some preseason madness. Yes. Remember you heard it here first folks. U.S. gets multiple points in Costa Rica. Take your money to the bookie now. And I'm your host, Mike Turner. I'm your producer, Mason. And I am your cave-dwelling hooligan, Sean Campbell. And we are the Soccer Capital Podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.